0: Welcome to Sober Conversations and thanks for joining us today. Sober Conversations is the podcast that gets to the heart of addiction recovery by examining all the angles of the sober lifestyle and just what it means to be alive, healthy, and thriving. My name is Dr. Herbie Bell. And today's episode, number 12, is with fitness professional Ken Dobberpool. Ken's background as an educator in the life sciences and lifetime experience as an athlete, including master sports and three Hawaiian Ironman triathlon finishes, provides for an informed discussion about the importance of movement in overall good health. Ken and his wonderful wife now live in the sky-high city of Cuenca, Ecuador, as he sprinkles in an international flair to our discussion. Ken's insights include the four key areas for movement and why improved motion is the key to balanced emotions. Let's get to the conversation right now. Ken Dobberpool, so great to have you here from Ecuador. Ecuador?
1: That's right, Cuenca, Ecuador, up in the heart of the Andes uh, Mountains in the southern part of Ecuador.
0: Isn't it awesome to be alive in the year 2013 when we can do this? Uh,
1: you, the technology is is amazing, isn't it? I mean, we can talk and be with people anywhere in the world with this technology.
0: Well, listeners, this is Ken Dauberpool, and as I introduced him, he is a man of many different talents and uh, an unbelievable treasure chest resource for what we're going to talk about today. And that's the um, kind of fun part because we don't know what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> but Ken, I want to start by saying this, that uh, just last night I gave a lecture at a local addiction alcohol and drug uh, treatment center. And mm-hmm. a, man, a man said to me, I was talking about uh, dietary considerations and exercise as it related to long-term recovery. And a man said to me, "Hey, listen. Uh, there's so much information about genetics and how genetics run our our bodies and our minds. How ca- how can we escape that?" And he was basically saying that, "Listen, if you're born with bad genes and you're surrounded by bad germs and bad luck, isn't it true that it doesn't really matter what you do?" And I, um, he, that's exactly the place I want to go today with your expertise, because. As an educator, the educator that you've been lifelong wise and an exercise professional, don't you agree that I can go into the gym every day as it relates to me taking care of myself and actually upregulate my genetic structure on a daily basis? Does that sound too uh, far out there for you?
1: No, it doesn't. And actually, um, and I can uh, send this link to you. Uh, after we get off, because I I don't remember uh, all of it ver uh, verbatim, but uh, one of my clients down here sent me a, an article that was in the New York Times uh, about this very subject and how while we have genes and I and I've always used this uh, expression with with clients that uh, we may be predisposed to certain genetic conditions or situations, but. Uh, it doesn't mean need or excuse me, it doesn't mean that they need to express themselves. and uh, this article in the uh, New York Times actually talks about this marker that they've identified that's sort of like a switch on the gene that in other words, if you start exercising or you start eating uh, a healthier diet, it will actually switch off some of those genes that are uh, going to predispose you to, say, diabetes or a uh, for certain form of cancer. Um, it's a very, very interesting article, and they actually now are, are, are seeing physical evidence of this happening. I've always suspected it happened, but I didn't know the mechanism.
0: Well, that is such good information to have, and I will post it. Uh, the minute you send it to me, I'll post it on the show notes as well as on my website, but okay. that, that's exactly what I am talking about. And the idea for a recovering person to understand that there is a genetic predisposition, but there are initiators and promoters of what push these conditions along is such valuable information that we really can take responsibility for our own health care and, and, and do something ourselves and affect, directly affect our genetic blueprint, right?
1: Yes, and I, I think that's the bottom line is is really taking that responsibility and you know, there are probably situations or genetic encoding that we can't reverse and that, uh, you know, it's, it's going to play itself out in our lives at some point. But uh, I certainly, uh, being the eternal optimist, believe that, uh, that we do have more control over some of these predispositions than uh, originally uh, we thought. And I think it comes back again with you know having an authentic relationship with yourself and being honest about doing things that make you feel good, make you happy, and uh, you know pursuing those relationships uh, whether they're with other people or uh, pursuing uh, you know music or some other passion that that keeps you vibrant. I, I mean, there's just no question that our mental attitude, our mental approach to life is is at the uh, apex of, of everything we do.
0: I, I couldn't agree more, and you are the uh, epitome or the exemplary model of that, as I have known you through the years. And uh, as you may know, my practice mantra is move well, eat well, and think well, like you were just saying. I love to say in my practice, specifically with some of your expertise, the best kind of exercise is the kind you'll actually and regularly do. It's what people will actually uh, inculcate and uh, habituate into their lives. So how do you help your clients find and like and then love the regimen that they actually do?
1: Well, for a lot of people that are, uh, and I think this goes for a lot of, say, the baby boomer generation, a lot of us worked really hard for a number of years at the expense of our physical health, uh, to provide for families and uh, try to uh, gain the success that we were chasing. And then people get into their uh, maybe late 40s, 50s, and by the sure, uh, for sure, by the time they're in their 60s, uh, if they haven't been doing anything, they really start to feel restriction uh, in just performing their activities of daily living. And so I think the key is first of all to get people moving in a way that uh, you know is is at least enjoyable to them uh, It takes a little bit of a buy in to come into uh, say one of my exercises classes or for people to go to a gym per se initially, but um, as uh, our mutual good friend uh, Rocky Snyder and I both used to say, motion changes emotion
0: Love and
1: that. Uh, if you can just get people uh, initially moving, and then looking a little more sincerely at the intake of, of you know what they're eating, um, slowly they start to uh, develop a shift uh, and are ready you know to pursue it on a more vigorous level. But uh, the main thing is just getting people out and moving.
0: So you are making this direct correlation with. To the degree that we are moving as human beings, it directly affects our, as the psychologists say, our affect or how we are feeling about things. And how important is that to uh, the recovering community? So, as you know, I'm stoked about this thing called ancestral health principles or paleo principles and -hmm. what we've learned from our ancestors and how they stayed healthy. How is it applied in your teaching and and your understanding?
1: Well, I think... We can agree that the human body and what it needs has changed very little uh, since our ancestral times. You know, as hunter-gatherers, people obviously were spending the good majority of their day seeking shelter, food, water, Um, and so they were integrating exercise throughout their day on a continual basis. And uh, probably the only time they really Uh, rested when it was when they were sleeping. And um, so there's four things that uh, I've learned or uh, that I've borrowed from some of my mentors. And uh, some people make more of the movements or have uh, a greater number of them. But I boil it down to four things that all healthy humans need to be able to do. And they're called the four pillars of human movement. The first one is gait or locomotion and uh, so obviously the most fundamental thing is walking uh, but also included in in that could be running and I include cycling, rowing, anything that's moving you from point A to point B is locomotion um, under your own power. The next pillar would be level changes and this is simply the ability to for example squat up and down in uh, cultures where people sit in a squatted position all day, uh, you'll appreciate this or probably know this from your chiropractic practice is that that these cultures have very, very few low back pain problems, which is you know like an epidemic in most Western societies because we sit so much in a chair. Uh, so Not to mention giving
0: a, birth that way, right?
1: Yes, yes. A mo- much more natural way. Uh, so level changes would be the second one. So that would be anything like squatting, uh, a deadlift, anything that changes your level. Uh, the next pillar is a combination of pushing and pulling. We need to be able to push things away from us and pull things to us. And uh, the fourth pillar would be rotation or uh, avoiding rotation. Most of the core exercises that people do, a lot of I don't think there's a good understanding in the general public about what the function of the core musculature is, and we won't get off into the whole tangent here. But in a nutshell, it's it's simply to stabilize the spine as you're either moving uh, one way or another or twisting, turning. Your your body needs to stabilize the spine. That's a, a primal. Uh, requirement it needs to feel safe through movement so those four pillars gait or locomotion uh, level changes pushing and pulling and rotation make up the core of of every exercise session that we do um, and we change it all the time in other words you can change the the uh, plane of motion that you're working in and you can change whether you're standing bilaterally or in a split stance or in a single leg it really offers you of you know a, a variety of ways to move that are still natural and and cover those those basic uh pillars of human movement
0: fantastic so these four areas actually emulate how our ancestors moved and played, and it's kind of fun to mix it up and find out, as we were talking earlier, find out what works for each individual, right?
1: Exactly. I mean, the rotational part for our ancestors was probably, for example, if you're throwing a spear, it's a ro- rotational movement or throwing a rock, Um We don't, you know, as adults, don't tend to do a lot of these things anymore. And so it's good to kind of restore those patterns and and remember how to rotate and produce force uh, in that process.
0: And also, uh, also what, Herbie, I was just going to bring in a most important point, and it's left my consciousness right now. (laughs) It'll come back. So I was going to ask you, um, I love to find similarities between Uh, different uh, so-called disciplines when uh, there are many more similarities than there are differences. For example, addiction recovery has three phases. We call them detoxification, stabilization, and then rehabilitation and continued care. So those three things need to occur for somebody really to get a handle on this, this thing called addiction. And I was thinking about the work you do. Isn't that pretty much what you do with your clients? Um, well,
1: certainly yes. I think you know when you when you get a new person in, uh, I try not to uh, overwhelm them because it's oftentimes it's a it's a huge shift for them just to join a class, uh, for example, and be with other people. Some of them uh, are maybe a little further along the continuum than others, and then they'll see people that are are struggling with certain things like themselves, but. You know, the, the detoxification, uh, I think of you know, the, the work that we do where we're initially making suggestions about making sure people are drinking plenty of clean water, that they're breathing deeply, uh, learning how to, relearning how to breathe in some cases, um, and uh, obviously cleaning up their diet if, if there are some issues there, um, then uh, the I guess the second phase of that was the rehabilitation. And in fitness, a lot of times what we use as a tool is called a functional movement screen. And we look at look for asymmetries or dysfunctional patterns and try to help them repattern or reprogram. So if a person can't perform a body weight squat, they can't can't go down and to a parallel thigh position and come back up smoothly. Uh, sometimes it requires some some rehab or uh, motor learning uh, to reestablish that pattern so that they can do it and then of course your last phase the continuance part of it you're uh, then from there once they have good clean movement they can push and you know for example do a push-up correctly Uh, they can do a body row they can um, do a squat and so forth then it's a matter of Giving them some variety in those different movements, or maybe adding more weight, um, and you know developing that that continuation that they can sustain, you know, throughout their lives.
0: Makes good sense. And so it. Uh, and by the way, I remember what I was going to ask you, and it is that people don't need a gym. All they need is their body weight to learn to do things on a regular basis. I like to say, uh, try to do something every day. Um, well, right? yes,
1: exactly. And I think a lot of, uh, well, one of my uh, mentors impressed this upon me a long time ago. And I think you're, we're seeing more of a shift uh, back towards body weight training is that, you know, it just makes sense to me that, one, the body needs to be able to move well, uh, correctly. And then once it does, there are so many great body weight exercises you can do to keep yourself challenged. Uh, there's, there's actually several uh, books and new websites that guys and gals that are out there promoting uh, body weight only training, and they're doing incredible stuff. You know, it's, uh you take the basic push up just being able to do push ups is is hard enough but a lot of these guys are doing one arm push ups with extremely strict form they're not contorting their bodies i mean it's it takes incredible strength and uh, core stability to be able to do this stuff and so finding that a lot of the stuff that was old is as they say new again um and there is a resurgence of and respect for body weight training. And I just think it makes sense before you start adding external load to people that they be able to handle their body weight correctly first.
0: Makes Makes excellent sense. So the big idea is that in your practice and in addiction recovery that we find people somewhere along the continuum of some kind of toxicity or deficiency in the way that they are moving or the way that they are eating and then what is necessary is to develop lifelong practices for uh, then sufficiency and purity um, moving uh, with progress and not perfection is is that how you talk to your clients
1: absolutely and and i think in that in that conversation we're we're constantly trying to reinforce the 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 idea of interconnectedness to all to everything we do with our bodies whether it's the amount of sleep, uh, the amount of stress we expose it to, whether it's physical or emotional. Uh, the physical exercise, of course, is a form of stress. We want to make sure it's in balance with, with what we're doing so that we can recover on a daily basis and, and be able to do some exercise the next day. Um, but getting people to understand the, the true holistic approach to their health and, and fitness uh, that everything they do is connected uh, to their well-being and getting them to to make that connection and then actually, obviously, putting into practice things that will move them further along the continuum towards optimal health and fitness.
0: Well, then you have clients who uh, begin uh, movement practice and take care, very good care of themselves that way. Uh, but then, their diet is substandard. Give us a couple of uh of your insights around foods to avoid and what you've learned uh in your career
1: well, first of all the the science of nutrition is uh boy, there's so much information out there, and it's it's no wonder people are confused, and a lot of people just basically give up because they've gone. You know they'll read an article one week about this is this is the way to go, and then they read uh, something a few weeks later. It's a complete contradiction. Uh, What probably the the most common thing I tell my classes and remind them is that you can't out-exercise poor nutrition. Uh, So we shouldn't be using food as a reward, uh, poor food choices that is, as a reward for working hard. Um just because you went out and rode your bike hard for two hours doesn't mean you should sit down to a, a box of donuts and a, a bottle of Coca-Cola. Um, uh, confession time, I used to to train like that uh, and get away with it or I thought I was until uh, I had some uh, extreme candida issues finally rose up because of all the sugar I was consuming. And I thought I could get away with it because I was so-called uh, fit in an athlete. But these things, your, your body will not lie to you. And eventually, um, you know, if we're not giving it the type types of foods and sufficient water, hydration and so forth, there's going to be a price to pay um, there. Are a number of as I said, dietary regimens, and I think one of the the other key thing I try to get people to do is rather than jumping from the the fat of the week or whatever, really trying to understand how they feel after they eat certain meals it It really puts a lot of responsibility back on the person to determine whether or not they should be eating certain foods or not. I I think the science of uh, nutrition uh, ultimately will give us some tools that each person can sort of individualize their nutrition better than we're doing now. Because right now we tend to paint with broad brushes and whatever the best seller of the, the week is out there on nutrition, they... Um, make the assumption that the whole planet should be eating this way. And I think that there's a tremendous amount of, uh, well, there's a a book called Metabolic Typing, and I think there's a lot of of credence to it that uh, we all have individual, uh, on a continuum, uh, differences in the amount of protein, carbohydrate, and fat that our bodies actually need. And some of it is uh, genetically predisposed, Uh, But I think that this is where the science of nutrition ultimately is going to be a lot more useful than just coming up with different diets and trying to squeeze everybody through the same pipe. I think I think there's a lot more individuality to it than than we realize.
0: Which reminds me of the equation we see in the wellness community, and that is again N equals one. And I got to find out for myself what works and what doesn't work by adding and taking away, and then finding that equanimity in these three areas of movement and and eating and cognitive skills. So thank you for saying it like that. It is it is we it is incumbent upon us as individuals define this balance. And so I, you know, I so respect you and your beautiful wife for your desire to live uh, very, very healthy lifestyles in sustainable ways. And I think that is such a great analogy for the addiction recovery community, because what we were doing was not sustainable. And so you have moved to Ecuador, this, this wonderful yes. lifetime experience because of that, because you decided that it would be a much more sustainable way of life. And, and what an adventure. Tell us what you have learned about Ecuadorian, um, lifestyle and diet and movement practices.
1: Well, Ecuadorian, uh, cuisine is not known for, um, uh, it's, uh, shall we say, uh, excitement. Uh, it's, it's a pretty bland diet overall. And they're actually starting to experience in their populations a very uh, marked increase in diabetes. Um, it's the, I guess you would say the typical, the big meal of the day, the lunch is uh, often a combination of just so much carbohydrate. They'll have bread, they'll have rice for sure um they, i think they eat more rice in asian cultures uh so they have rice bread they may have uh choclo, which is a form of corn and then uh they'll wash it down typically they'll have a bottle of uh soda on the table and everybody's drinking sugar water
0: wow. so
1: <clears throat> it's it's really amazing they grow a, such an abundance uh, and variety of fresh fruits and vegetables. Uh, I mean, that's one of the things that attracted us to this culture. But you, when you go to an Ecuadorian house for uh, a meal, uh, their version of a salad is iceberg lettuce with a slice of tomato. I don't see them using the cucumbers and uh, the carrots and and everything else that's grown around here, the broccoli and et cetera, et cetera. You don't see it used that way. It's typically all thrown in for soups or something like that, where obviously you lose a lot of the nutritional value. So they, they have some serious issues with their diet here, uh, not unlike the United States. They, I'm afraid we've exported some of the worst of our model. When you go to the, uh, the malls here, uh, you would not know you were in Cuenca, in, uh, Ecuador, because you're going to see a Burger King, a Subway, a McDonald's, uh, the pizza hut, you name it. There's going to be examples of those, uh, in, in there. And so their, their health is heading a lot the way it is in North America too, because of fast food or this predominance of, uh, carbohydrate in their diet.
0: So at the very least, you'll agree that along with this metabolic typing and understanding our own mind, body, spirits, the standard American diet of high carbohydrate fast food, refined sugars is uh, tantamount to poison in our systems.
1: Well, there's yeah, there's no way to uh, no pun intended sugarcoat It's It's just <laughs> it's an epidemic. I mean, it it really is amazing, and I was it really saddened me when when we uh, moved here and started to uh, realize how the average person eats and, you know, the food is very inexpensive here. Um, what would cost us, uh, you know, $300 at whole foods, for example, for fresh fruits and vegetables up in the States. I mean, you can get it for $30 for the whole week and have enough, of these fresh fruits and vegetables for juicing and uh, your salads and, and you know used in other uh, dishes, and um, it just um, it's an interesting shift that uh, there is so much sugar prevalent in this culture, um, and I'm sure that uh, we're going to see that demographic the same kinds of uh, problems with cancers and diabe- diabetes and in other uh, health-related or food-related diseases.
0: Well, I'm sure that you're going to make a difference one person at a time, and thank goodness you were there with this awareness. I'm wondering, I don't expect you to to know this answer, but since this is a Sober Conversations episode, do you know uh, about the statistics for uh, addiction, uh, where they are in Ecuador? Do you hear much about that in local media?
1: Well, actually i did try to uh google some of that information before uh our conversation the other day and i and i think the the most recent uh statistics i found were from 1995 so uh either my uh search capabilities are not very good or there's just not a lot of information on it but alcoholism is um uh, is very uh common Uh, and as you and I have kind of mentioned, I think it's sort of homogeneous across, across culturally. Um, there's just, uh, it's so available for most people. Now, alcohol in general is quite expensive here. For example, the, the American liquors or American beers and so forth are, are very expensive, but, uh, Ecuador, does have a lot of sugar cane, and they they produce a a rum called Shumir, which is fairly cheap. And this is what um, Sunday mornings, when I go out on my bike ride, I'm I'm dodging uh, broken bottles of Shumir all over uh, the streets and so forth. Because Saturday nights, the night everybody uh, lets it loose, and uh, you know I I know there's a number of a Uh, meeting sites here in cuenca Uh, the the city is about a half a million people Um, and i know they also have is it uh, Narcanon? i believe yeah but i would say the majority of the drug use is uh, or substance abuse would be alcohol related Uh, we're surrounded by countries that grow and uh, process cocaine but uh, i think because of the expense of it and so forth it's uh, at least I don't. I haven't seen that many incidents or hear, heard of uh, that much usage. I think it's more alcohol-related, uh, and the pharmaceuticals and things like that are just not as uh, widely used, I don't think, by people.
0: Well, and I think that instead of uh, beating around the bush with the shame and the guilt and the cultural stigma that probably exists there, maybe even more so than here... What you and I are trying to say is that if we can move people away from uh, insulin spiking and inflammation uh, causing uh, high carbohydrate diets, then they'll feel better and they'll have a more balanced uh, brain chemical cascade and be reaching for less of uh, these ways to kind of soothe themselves. Do you think that's reasonable to say?
1: I think that's absolutely true. I think it 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 goes back to what I mentioned earlier about having an authentic relationship. You know, each person having that authentic relationship with themselves, uh, doing activities and and eating that supports uh, a way of feeling good without having to um, artificially uh, try to ease their pain or make themselves feel better. Um, you know, there's, in some of the cultural aspects here, just like anywhere else, there's a poverty issue also, and I think a sense of hopelessness on the part of some people that, uh, you know, it's easy for us to pontificate about eating right and doing everything else when uh, you're only making a sixty-seven an hour and, and working all week, and there's, you know... These things are uh, just sort of pile up on people, and they uh, they look for outlets. Uh, it would be nice if uh, you know they were able to do these shifts in consciousness that we're suggesting. But it's the human human nature or human condition, I suppose, that occasionally people need to check out via. Uh, drugs or other substances
0: well what a good uh argument for living one day at a time uh the best we can by these these three essential nutrients of moving and eating and thinking well as we uh come to the end of our conversation because i know you've got uh, a busy practice i uh, i love your mantra which is be well be fit or one of the neat things you say What are three or four uh, things that come to mind as takeaways uh, for people to remember just how to do that, how to be well and be fit?
1: Well, again, I think it's uh, eating supportive, uh, what I refer to as supportive nutrition, and uh, trying to uh, continue to find ways to do activities or eat in a manner that supports your personal growth. Um, I think that uh, most people eventually will find if they start to move, eat well, get plenty of rest, and uh, keep their stress levels low, uh, life gets life gets a lot easier. And uh, the other thing is that with my practice is. That I'm doing small group training now. I don't do any one-on-one stuff, so there's an interactivity there or interconnectedness between us, and people are are very supportive of each other. And I think having a support system, uh, like in the addiction recovery community, it's a vital part of it. And I think getting people uh, started in an exercise program, I think I think it requires the same type of support system. To get people uh, traction as they as they begin their process or their journey, um, it is because it's it does take a certain amount of discipline over time to uh, continually show up every day and uh, work your body and and, and enjoy that process. <laughs>
0: Well, as I like to say let's make the addiction treatment community become the entire community because it's all the same community however we uh, whatever portal of entry we get into taking better care of ourselves it's Absolutely. all the same community so i've got to tell you that your blog and your zeal center are fantastic online you right. i I love to read your blog you've always got three or four posts. That uh, walk me around various uh, parts of my consciousness. Great takeaways. Tell people how they can connect with uh, Zeal Center and your blog and with you, Ken.
1: Okay. Well, the blog is um, www.zeal, as in Z E A L, Zest, Energy, and Life. Love it. So we came up with that. Uh, Zealcenter.com. And then there's a, uh, uh, a link there or a button for uh, reading the blogs, and they're all archived. I put a blog out once a week, and typically the blog consists of a, an exercise or a discussion of an exercise or something related to exercise. And then I put in what I call an Ecuadorian sidebar, just sort of an observation of something I've seen uh, or experienced living here that's maybe would be interesting to other people uh, that have not lived in this culture. And then um, a lot of my uh, readers will send me uh, things of various amusement that I'll post up a, a video or something uh, that's totally unrelated, just shows my sick sense of humor. So, <laughs> Which I
0: appreciate very, very much.
1: Well, thank you. So, uh, yeah, I I would love to have uh, anyone who's interested uh, check into that. And uh, there's a link there where they can click and I can put
0: them on the list and they'll they'll receive the blog on a regular basis. Good deal. And Ken, I can't thank you enough for the fantastic work that you and your beautiful bride are doing in the world. Will you please give her my love? I certainly will. And uh, likewise to Myra. And we have to find a way to paddle out together. We're um, we're connected to the same ocean, but we we've got to find a way to meet in the middle somewhere.
1: Well, as um, if let's see if you read last week's blog. I finally got back in the water after almost three years, Herbie. I can't believe it's been that long. But uh, I paddled out at Montanita and. Um, uh, the waves weren't that great but uh I still remembered how to do it and it was uh, a lot of fun and I think we're going to find a way to to try to spend more time down on the uh, in the coastal environment and uh we're looking forward to that
0: well as you might say to me if you don't go you won't know bro so thanks for the inspiration and yes. Ken Doberpool, you are uh, a fantastic man who uh walks uh, uh, his talk. Thank you very much for being with us at Soper Conversations.
1: Thank you, Herbie. You're doing great work as well, and I, I support uh, 100% what you're doing out there, and I, I hope it's, it's. I, well, I know it's helping a lot of people. Thank you me. take care, bro.
0: Okay, we'll talk soon. Muchas gracias, mi hermano Ken Daverpool, for your time and keen insights about how, well, about how Motion Improves Emotions, among many other nuggets of wisdom. Listeners, you can find Ken at www.zeelcenter.com. that's Z-E-A-L, where ZEAL is an acronym for Zest, Energy, and Life. Ken and his wife definitely add life to our world. As ever, I'm Dr. Herbie Bell, and you can find me on the web at recoveryhealthcare.me, that's M-E, or Facebook. Slash health. Thank you for listening and do us a favor by going to iTunes and giving a rating and a review because all great beginnings start with a conversation. Here's to next time and in the meantime, move, eat and think well.